Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 at Peach Troops podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I am here with Glenn Willis recording on a Sunday evening. The most recent Hawks game was a win over the Warriors. They have a contest with Indiana tomorrow night. How are you, Glenn? I, I'm on the upswing. I've been sick all week long. As a matter wow. of fact, we were supposed to record last night and appreciate a little uh, understanding that needed to back, push it back one day. But I, I think I'm getting better. Uh, and uh, we're down to the uh, kind of the stretch run of the season and uh, some fun right around the corner. I hope. Uh, speaking of the stretch run, the Hawks are a virtual lock at this point to be in the play-in. They cannot escape uh, agreed. purgatory, I, Bas- NBA purgatory. <laughs> I guess it's better than missing, but um, certainly not where their ambitions were at the beginning of the season, certainly not where the, the collective mind of the fan base was uh, at the beginning of the season. But, uh, you know, um, they're capable of playing at a high level time to time. Hopefully uh, it hits at the right time when we get to that point. So um, it could still be some fun basketball, but – even though they've been a kind of a frustrating team across this season. Yeah. uh, I mean, at at this point, I mean, it feels like they're almost certainly going to be somewhere in that eight to 10 range. Like Washington is just not close enough to actually get in the play. And the Hawks are right there lingering a game behind Charlotte, but also currently holding the tie break advantage uh, does home court matter all that much if it's a Charlotte Atlanta game? I, I think it always matters a little bit. Um, you know, it as as kind of and we talked about a little bit. March is a is a grind. The NBA season, the NBA schedule, March is a grind. And if it's a close game, I feel like that energy that you can get from your home crowd might make a difference. So I, I feel like it always matters. Um, interestingly. I think I think our friend uh, Brad Rowland tweeted out that the Hawks have basically the tiebreaker with Charlotte. Um, Brooklyn has the tiebreaker, clinched the tiebreaker with Atlanta. So I think that's that's important to kind of keep an eye on just in case they end right. up with the with the same record. I was looking before we jumped on here. Five thirty eight um, has Atlanta and Charlotte finishing with the same record uh, as the way that they have that projected, and they actually have Cleveland falling to seven, and it would be the way the 538 is forecasting it Cleveland and uh Brooklyn in the 7-8 matchup and then Atlanta and Charlotte 19 matchup and then the tiebreaker would come into play if that's how the records actually land incredible I think we like two months ago we talked about teams dropping and I said that I can't remember did I, I it was either Chicago or Cleveland I think I was I think I was nervous about Chicago. I didn't think that they were going to be able to hold the spot that they had. But yeah, yeah. were, you, yeah, were felt- you down on? I think you were the one who said like Cleveland was coming back to coming back to earth soon. Yeah, I just felt like they haven't had enough really uh, kind of guard um, talent, yeah, if you will. That sure. a lot a lot would come down on Garland, who said a. Mm-hmm. A great season, but they've also been you know, really banged up. But I, I thought the kind of the way that they play would um, is pretty rigid. They don't have a lot of different directions to go, like mm-hmm. some other teams, uh, in my view. So I thought the league would kind of kind of catch up with them, and that's that's happened to a degree. And I thought Chicago's defense has been, um, you know, yes. 
questionable. You and I talked back at the trade deadline, I think about, um, and I'm not even sure, can't remember with the Tristan Thompson thing was that was a buyout, I think. Um, but getting top, Tristan Thompson helps. Wait a minute. Yeah, he's with Chicago. Yeah, <laughs> Chicago. Um, <laughs> and how that helps some with what what they have going on there. But you know, Chicago is, is slipping. Cleveland is slipping. And the 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 talk I hear, and I haven't jumped in and kind of joined the conversation, is will teams at the top be looking to avoid the possibility of getting matched up with Brooklyn? <laughs> um, well, they aim for the three spot, you know, uh, so, so to speak. It was interesting because Brooklyn and Miami played, I think, um, last night. Brooklyn played again today, if I have the, the days correct in my head. And I was like, is Miami going to um, look to kind of punt against Brooklyn so that they're not, you know, staying at the top? I don't know how real that is, um, but it is an interesting uh, kind of thing to try to keep an eye on to see if we think teams are actually doing that. But, yeah, 538 would have in the 7-8 game Cleveland and – uh, Brooklyn and the nine ten game Atlanta and Charlotte. We should probably take a minute and talk about how that works. I don't. It's it's still so new. I think. Mm-hmm. And it, and uh, um, but um, the basically the way it works is seven and eight play each other and nine and ten play each other. Yeah. Um, as right after the regular season ends, the winner of seven eight gets a seven seed. That's a done deal. The loser seven eight would then play the winner of nine and ten, and the, that game would determine who gets. The eight seed. So if you finish ninth or tenth, you got to win two games to get there. If you finish seventh or eighth, you only got to win one game to get there. And then if you finish nine, ten, the only thing that matters there is you get to play at home, or do you have to go on go on the road? And and like you said, I and think your it's, second game is on the road. Like that's right that's for theoretical. sure. Yeah, for sure. So that that's either at, you know again, if we're just going by the way, if it falls the way five thirty eight has it. Um, that would be either at Brooklyn or at Cleveland, and certainly at Toronto is in play, you know, statistically. <laughs> I know, and that, well. that, that's rough because there's like a quick turnaround there, too. So, like, win, really win the 9 10 game and then trying to go with the international flight through customs and all of that would be that would be kind of miserable. That'd be rough. And then, then you have, <laughs> you know, Gallo and Bogey, you know, both banged up, and you know, Herders, you know, still you know, uh, seems to be kind of working through some things there too. So even kind of the, the even if it were, if you, even if you're not going into Canada, you know, that, that turnaround is, is pretty tough on a on team right. kind of going through what the Hawks are going through right now, even though they're not the only one, but, but you know, this is a podcast mostly about the Hawks. So just to state that, but we're certainly probably looking at them being nine, 10. Um, they, they, they would need to beat Brooklyn. Uh, in the game coming up on Saturday, I think to get, to kind of give themselves a chance to potentially get by Brooklyn, uh, especially since Brooklyn, uh, by way of having won the first two matchups in the season, already has clinched that tiebreaker. So, if they have any hope of getting to eight, which would give them two games to win one to get in, the that the game on Saturday versus Brooklyn is certainly key. And they have Cleveland in the middle of the week, or, or um, at some point this week. <laughs> remember which day it is but that you know if cleveland keeps falling then that might be another big one uh kind of, kind of there for them too you, you just never know if they might be able to squeeze by them but i mean hawks fans i think know that the real critical success factor here is winning the games you should win which has not been <laughs> the, their strength this year so i asked nate about indiana today and He's like, well, they're 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 playing, and I'm paraphrasing for now. But he's like, yeah, they they play a lot of young players, 
and then you know half a beat later he's like well it's, it's like i always say don't f with the game so i think he's expecting to win with yeah. all the circumstances in play but you know he knows well, that well i asked to the... dot their i's and cross their t's to get this to happen yeah you, you i mean as we found out in the last two games against the pistons you know and the pistons play yeah. hard and they play they really try to play the right way and you know they have a really experienced coaching staff over there which isn't always the case with young teams you know um but you've got to take the game seriously from the beginning you can't kind of feel your way through a quarter and a half and then find out like oh the door we open the door to this team that we you know should uh handily beat that that just can't be the approach and we've just seen that you know you know all too often this year i you know i i asked the question yesterday of a few people is anyone tanking harder than indiana right now i Mm -hmm. i i think they are tanking the hardest right now (laughs) in my view so all the more reason to uh to not um take any uh, undue risk with that one i think and i don't at least as of this morning like i don't think there was anything definitive stated like it could be that could be a lloyd pierce game still like he's he's a temporary fill-in for for rick carlisle over the weekend and they just announced that he would coach the two games and now this next game is against the Hawks, and we don't know if, if Carlisle is going to come back or if it's going to be Lloyd coaching against his former assistant, which would be interesting. It would be. And then Indiana is also coming out of that weird game in Toronto last <laughs> night that was delayed by fire or smoke or both or something. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, the season could not not be getting any weirder for uh, Indiana right now, it seems. For sure. Uh, if, if we could go back to that Detroit game, yeah. One of the more significant things that's happened recently, I think, is that Jalen Johnson played. And that's even more relevant going into the Indiana game because uh, Gallo today didn't practice and he got treatment on his uh, arm, elbow, I think it was. Uh, and it's a shooting arm, so... You know that's that's significant for him. He he didn't practice today. He just kind of got treatment. So I think he's officially listed as questionable. I guess I can double check that to make sure. <laughs> Let's get that right. That sounds right. He is and, questionable. Yes. And that and, almost uh, always turns into game time decision, right? Almost always. That's that, that's an inevitability for sure. Yeah. But you know, Jalen Johnson had to fill in in Detroit, and uh, you know. I think there was some promise there. I, I went back and watched everything a second time. And instead of just watching the game, it was just, let's watch him. And I was more impressed, I think, watching just him than, than watching him in the context of the overall game. But I'm wondering what you thought. I mean, I, I thought um, I thought he was prepared to play that game. He looked like a, a person who had the full kind of game plan process. It, it didn't look like one of those things where – he was going to be out of the rotation, and then got tapped like at what whatever point in the game he went in. He looked he looked like he was prepared to play. So even step one for a twenty year old rookie, that's that's good start. Um, then I thought on offense he was really decisive. Like he knew the Hawks were running a lot of four or five drag pick and roll, um, yep. where it was either Hunter when he was in first, and then Jalen first. And it was interesting because they kind of flipped. Um, their action from what they've done most of the season typically you would almost always see the four float to the nearest three-point break and then the five dive to the rim but they were slipping 
the first screen to the rim and you know DeAndre Hunter got a few uh layups at the rim and I think Jalen got one. Yep. Uh and and it Absolutely. looked it looked I, I was encouraged to tell you it looked just as sharp uh when Jalen was doing it as DeAndre, you know, which is yep. which you know is, is encouraging. So I thought and then you know there was a couple of times that uh Detroit kind of brought an extra body in the paint and he redirected redirected himself to the near corner, which was open, which was a really good kind of a, a read on the fly for Jalen as well. So I thought on offense, he, he did good things. And, um, you know, and I would not be surprised to see them do a little bit more of that um, kind of four or five drag slipping the four, the first screener there. Um, on defense, he had a couple of ugly moments, um, yep. but I thought, I, I thought that was maybe blown a little bit out of proportion and sort of the reaction uh, part of that. Um, you know, I don't remember, there's a game he played in about three weeks ago. I'm not, I'm blanking on who the opponent was where, he played a pretty good stretch in the fourth quarter, um, and I was encouraged. And you and I talked about how his his kind of recognition of when he was low man, when he where he was supposed to be helping at the rim, how he was you know when he's supposed to shade, help close a gap, all that sort of stuff was there. The one time in that game, they brought him into the pick and roll. It was a disaster, and I thought that was kind of what happened versus Detroit when he's put the primary action. Still, pretty pretty lost there. Um, but if you can kind of find a way to put him on someone who's going to line up in the weak side corner, not necessarily be brought into the action, uh, I, I think he's making progress there. Um, what what did you see that I didn't see, especially with the rewatch? Yeah, I think that was a lot of it. Is that the, you know there were two or three just sort of egregious possessions, including a couple of times where he was kind of low man on the weak <laughs> side and he was supposed to be the help defender and. You know, it's like, you know, it's bad because he didn't take like the first step <laughs> when the play was over. And, you know, you could see, you know, there was a time earlier in the game, like really soon after he came in where he was low man on the weak side. And you could see Bogey telling him, hey, this is you. This is you. You know, you got to be aware of this. And, you know. I thought, you know, the, the thing to me is that it looked like on most possessions, he did a pretty good job. You mentioned that he was, you know, well-informed on the game plan. I thought most of the possessions he was guarding Olenek and he kind of knew what he was supposed to be doing with regard to that. Like, uh, I thought there were a lot of times where he presented himself on defense as a help defender to just kind of say, hey, you know, I, he would take like one step and kind of lean into the action a little bit. And you could see the, the offensive player with the ball kind of say, okay, recognize that he was there. But when, when the, and the Hawks don't do a lot of this, but there were a few times where the Hawks defender, you know, just kind of held up and didn't need help. And I thought he did a good job taking the one step and saying, you know what, I got to stay close to Olenek here. That person is, is doing a pretty good job. I'm not going to go over there. I'm going to stay to Olenek. And, uh, you know, I thought that was good. There was one time he was in the action that it went pretty well. He kind of dealt with a drop and they kind of pushed him to the brink and then he went to the ball handler and, you know, it went to as a lob over to the hop, over the top. And I really thought it was Okongu who kind of just missed it. He was supposed to rotate in and help. It looked like Jalen actually did what he needed to there because he kind of had to guard two on the roll as DeLon tried to chase the play from behind and and, and he forced the, he forced that lob pass, but then the help didn't come to it. So I, I thought he was pretty good. You know, like, you know, I thought he did, you know, when you're really watching and he's not in the action, you could kind of see him making that added emphasis of see the ball, see your man, see the ball, see your man. 
and he was, you know, he was just generally aware, you know, I think he has to get a lot better at, uh, you know, recognizing when he's that low man on the weak side and he's supposed to bring help. And, you know, we didn't really see a whole lot of him in the primary action. I think there was like one good play, like I was mentioning. And then there was another one that didn't go well at all. But I think it was only like two or three plays where Detroit really forced the issue with him, which was a little bit surprising. But, you know, I, I, I thought he did pretty well. Yeah, and Olympic is tricky because he, I mean, he's not just a, a big man. You know, he's a stretch big for sure. Mm-hmm. But he's not just a guy who's going to stand in one spot. He's pretty crafty. He'll move, he'll slide, he'll lift. Uh, and then when you close out on him, he's comfortable taking one dribble and kind of sidestepping you and, and setting himself back up in a way that a lot of guys who spend time at the five can't, can't do that. He's And Jalen dealt with that. There was one play where he had to close out on Olenek. He closed out hard. Olenek took the one dribble, picked it up, right. and then he closed out even harder the second time because he knew Olenek was stuck at that point. And yeah, it was that, like this great double close on. It's like, okay, Jalen, good. That's really good. I thought it was, I, I remember that too. I thought that was his best moment on defense because his momentum on the first close out, you know, could have easily taken him just all the way past him. But nice to be 20 years old and have, you know, 100% of your <laughs> athleticism, right? And to be able to recover. But at least, I mean, it's like as soon as he went by him, you could almost kind of see him processing, like, I got to get back to him, um, which is, just, I mean, that's pretty new lot stuff for, uh, you know, a, a rookie who hasn't played much this year. So yeah, th- that was good. I, you know, I know that some fans and, and, and hopefully it's okay to kind of talk about like why he didn't play versus the Warriors. You know, I, I think uh, when Gallo played that game, obviously to start with, but, but why didn't he not see the floor at all? I think if he would have been on the court, Kerr would have rolled Draymond out in those same minutes at the four, probably with Looney or something like that. And Draymond, is a kind of guy could have eaten him up in just in terms of, you know, all that Draymond does with a, you know, a, a dribble and kind of looking at uh, passes on both sides and, and all that sort of, I think that'd have been pretty, a pretty tough ask, you know, for Jalen, but here we are going into Indiana. I think that's one he should be able to handle. Then we fast forward to Oklahoma city and, you know, I don't know if Shea will play in that game, but if you have Shea and Giddy playing, I mean, they're, they're pretty good in the pick and roll. Um, and they will bring anybody up there. They'll bring Baisley. will drag a big up in, into it. Um, you know, um, you know they'll they'll do a lot of different things. They'll bring a wing into it. They'll do a one, you know, a one two uh, or two ones pick and roll. So, I think Oklahoma could get Jalen kind of in the mix there. So that might not be quite as favorable uh, there. Maybe you get him in the non giddy minutes or something like that. But then you got Cleveland and Brooklyn, and those are, I think, tougher tougher games to play him. You know, do you want to risk him? Um, getting caught against a really big Cleveland lineup, you want to risk him getting caught on Kevin Durant in that Brooklyn game, assuming Kevin Durant, you know, plays or, or what have you. So, you know, hopefully we'll get to see some minutes here against Indiana. Um, yeah, I think that's a, g- a good call. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, I think you have to be a little selective about OKC, but he, I think he could play in that game. You just have to be a little careful about, you know, who's mm-hmm. on the court for OKC there. And then I think Cleveland Brooklyn's pretty tough for him. So I know that if the Hawks had their way, they'd get, Gallo back, you know, for Cleveland, Brooklyn, for sure. And before we leave the topic, like the one other thing that I saw, and I, I mentioned that he was listening, like there were people telling him what to do early on. There was lots of talking, like he, he was definitely communicating. I think his teammates were hyper aware, but there were lots of sort of off ball situations where there was, you know, exchanges and try to get him in the right matchup. And he was really, you know, active talking, pointing, showing what needed to be done. Uh, 
there was there was one play. Uh, it was a low. It was a it was a post up down low. Uh, Pistons were trying to do do a post up. Whatever matchup it was, the Hawks didn't really like it. So Delon went to double, and that left Jalen with two to guard up at the top of the key. And uh, you know when when Delon got there, that forced the ball out, and it went back up top to where Jalen was. But you know he had those two people to guard at once, and you know the Detroit did a good job uh, to kind of flare out. You know they they went away from Jalen. Uh, to the side to get away from him and Jalen was talking with Delon to say okay you know what this this closeout actually you're going to need to get to it and he was pointing and telling him where to go so I just I thought that was very mature and it just looked like he was an active listener and and talker which uh, I think you kind of expect that the first few games when you're out there with more experienced players but it's still good to see and was that the one where the ball got back to Olenek and he hit the three-point shot kind of there on the just, just right of the three. I forget the result. I was looking at the process, Glenn. Yeah, yeah. No, the process was good, but I, I think I think some people looked at it and thought it was bad because he was kind of caught between two uh, players. Uh, but uh, really, in that situation, all you really are trying to do is make the ball move, you know, away from the first guy that catches it, get it to another guy because that that buys time for another defender to get engaged. But in that case, you know, the ball got moved back to the first guy, which was like I think it went out of the post to Grant, to Olenek, to Corey Joseph, and back to Olenek, and Olenek hit the three. And it looked, I mean, it kind of looked like Jalen was in no man's land, but he, you know, we talk about zoning the weak side. Yeah, I think the one I remember had fewer passes than that. It was maybe one okay. or two. It wasn't, wasn't like a three or four pass deal. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but I thought, I think it was similar process where I thought he was right. trying to account for two guys when he was the only defender in the area. And it seemed to be kind of prioritizing it well. It's just that Detroit's execution was good and it was too good for one defender to kind of be engaged there. And nobody else kind of, you know, came in to do any sort of XL action or help on, you know, the two shooters, you know, uh, top of the torch, top of the key. So even though that one kind of looked funny and looked like it looked like a bad rookie moment, I, I thought the process was good. And, you know, he, in the, you know, that situation, all you're really asking to do is, don't let the first guy get a comfortable catch and shoot. Make him pass the ball. And if, if when that pass comes, hopefully you're buying time for another defender to get out and help. And for whatever reason, not a shock this year for the Hawks that, you know, somebody didn't hustle out there because that, that's been up and down. Right? That extra effort kind of thing has been on and off and up and down the season. And uh, and I, th- I thought his teammates kind of maybe, uh, you know, hung out to dry a little bit there, but I thought it was still a good process. Yeah, I think he had a I think he had a steal like in transition defense too, which is you know, I think he could add a lot of value there when Collins is gone because I think that's a real weak spot right now is that you know, you've got Clint going for offensive rebounds and then in the backcourt you've got Trey and Kevin Herter and you know, bogey and teams are just not worried about them. Like it's, if we get a two on one, a one on one, you know, we're just going to go right at the rim and see what happens and you know, an athletic body who's getting back, like he got back and got that steal. But I, I feel like, you know, he's got a natural instinct on offense and transition. And, and I think it'll come with defense once he gets a little more practice and a little more uh, positive reinforcement like that steal, like he was hustling back. They tried to push the issue and he got that steal. And I, I think they need like that athletic power for, because, you know, with Gallo, he's just, it's either a take foul or he's just not going to get there. Uh, 
you know, they don't, they don't usually they have Collins and that's a, a good situation to have him. And, uh, you know, they, they, they need a little bit more athleticism for their transition defense when, when Clint is banging around trying to get offensive rebounds. Yeah, agreed. He's, um, he's really good in space. He has that athleticism and that speed um, and that quick, quick, quick twitch stuff. And, um, you know, I, it's just, it, it, you know, I don't know how much of an impact he'll have on the rest of the season. We'll see. And, you know, I'll enjoy and appreciate opportunities to see him play and see how he does. But at a minimum, I hope this is, you know, kind of uh, an indication that uh, he might be able to uh, be ready beginning of next season to, 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 you know, be in the rotation if needed and, uh, and those sorts of things. His progress this year has been, you know, pretty impressive. And, and I know it was kind of funny because we talked about how good he looked in summer league and then he got into basically non-playable kind of territory with you know with the nba team which was the actual nba season rolled around which isn't which is not a huge huge surprise but yeah the the progress has been encouraging um and once july gets here seeing you know sharif and Jalen go back to vegas presumably um and and play again and see the the steps that they've taken should be should be should be fun but um you know hopefully a decent amount of basketball for the you know the actual analogs between between now and then, but I, I love summer league, so I'm already kind of uh, thinking about an opportunity to see second year uh, Sharif and Jalen and, and what they could do, even uh, considering how um, solid they were in Vegas this past July. Tell me about the Golden State game. Yeah, I I was interested to see some things they were doing differently um offensively uh there one thing that was going on was you know uh, Kerr still I mean I know people I know a lot of people might think I I don't know how good of a coach Kerr is because he had you know when they won three in five years they had you know Steph for all of them and Clay and then KD for two of them and on and on you know and stuff but I mean that that team is still coached a really high level and you can and you can see that even here now steps not playing anymore um and such um but you know they were trying to look for opportunities to trap trey on the high pick and roll and one thing that i thought was interesting was they would bring clint basically within a step and a half of the normal screen spot and then have him hold there and kind of um not drag that second defender with him and so to have the hawks not be the uh, the one executing the action that triggers that that double team, uh, and then as as soon as that second defender kind of was drawn into the play, Clint would then slip to the to the rim, and, and they got several easy shots at the rim that way. That's I asked Trey about that. I'm gonna have to like cut audio now. You're making my job harder. <laughs> I'm sorry. I haven't. I, didn't, I haven't. I never because I've been sick. I didn't listen to any post game or anything like that. But like you had some good success tonight, kind of. When they were trapping you, kind of keeping the ball for an extra beat and kind of holding it so that Clint could get to the right spot. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you looking for in terms of getting that person on the weak side to commit to a spot so you know where it should go? Yeah, I uh, when I'm getting trapped, I uh, I definitely want to try to bring the trap out a little bit to to create more space outside of the trap for the other four guys. So whenever I do throw it out, um, they're able to make either a quick read and, and go to the basket, or they're able to make a an, an an extra pass and an easy pass to the next person. So I try to drag it out one or two dribbles. Sometimes I do it too 
too too far and they're able to get back. But uh, I try to drag them, the big man out maybe an extra step or two to let Clint get where he needs to go. And then whenever I get it to that, that next person, I just want them to be aggressive. So that's the that's the first time I've seen them do that you know and and to me I've been kind of complaining about you know teams switching or some harder hedging or some soft trapping or whatever and then not you know finding anything more to do than to kind of attack your preferred mismatch and isolation well that was some new there was some nuance there uh to kind of attack a, a, a defense that wanted to be aggressive on straight the point of the ball screen kind of funny to just never set that screen and make the defense make a decision like okay is is Clint close enough that we're gonna go ahead and pull that second defender at Trey or is or no you know and kind of put put that defender in no man's land was was really interesting what did what did Trey have to say if you're able to kind of summarize uh you know his response when you asked him about that he I probably asked a question where I gave too much of a conclusion in the question and he just kind of echoed that he just kind of, you know, talked a little bit about uh, what he was trying to do and trying to drag out the play a little bit and take both defenders with him and, and get them out of the play so that there was a little bit more space when he got off the ball, something like that. Yeah. And, and I like that specifically because one of the, impacts of them struggling to kind of be switching defenses especially the good ones is that they they don't get nearly as many shots at the rim you know uh, you know when they're attacking kind of an isolation and you know kind of looking for a mid-range or a step back three or whatever and that technique you know opened up shots at the rim you know for for clant um there so very curious to see if if that they continue to use that um uh you know, I don't, I have no idea what Indiana's going to do on defense because they play such a young team, probably just play pretty normal drop coverage. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, if Lloyd's in charge, Lloyd loves to mix it up on defense. So we might see eight different things from them on defense, even though they're, you know, kind of a young team. Uh, LP didn't hold back on a young Hawks roster. He threw a lot of them defensively from year one. Um, and then OKC, it really does depend on who plays, um, you know, kind of, kind of in that game. But curious to see if we'll um, continue seeing some of that. Um, the other thing I mentioned was a little bit more of that four slipping, uh, kind of the first staggered screen there. And then we saw more um, kind of move the ball to the weak side, um, you know, where we saw, you know, Gallo getting into a kind of a, where he pitched the ball to a wing, say Herter, and Herter lifts into DHO or lifts up to kind of a traditional ball screen and isolating uh, on that weak side with Trey on the strong side. I thought they got a lot out of that. I think that helps Herter get what he's looking for. I think that helps Hunter sometimes get what he's looking for. Hunter got uh, to the rim really much better in this game than he has in a while. I think when I went back and looked through, I think he got, you know, three good shots at the rim um, in the second half. One was he got fouled on. But, um, you know, it's, it's a little frustrating. We haven't seen so much this year, but when he's able to, kind of attack down through the nail towards the rim he's pretty good at like getting uh, his shoulder into the middle of the defender but not so much that he's going to draw the offensive foul he's pretty good about using that left forearm uh, not extending it to get the offensive so his, you could tell like he gets like thousands of reps on that because this technique is perfect once he starts getting downhill you know especially with his right hand um but I mean the Warriors right now aren't playing a lot of shot blockers you know and, and it was nice to see Dre be like okay look this is a chance for me to get to the rim and to recognize when a shot blocker is on the floor versus versus not so um 
and when we think about, and one of the reasons I, I kind of pointed what Dre was doing there and showing a little bit more of that uh, attack game, and then I thought he and Gallo both were pretty good against the Warriors attacking closeout defenders, you know, in those situations too. The, you know, in the third quarter, I thought that's what really kind of broke the Warriors' defense. Um, and in and, and addition to the Warriors being tired, because I think they were third game, game of four. Yeah, they were pretty, especially <laughs> in the first half, I thought they were just – they were just uh, not containing the ball. Like the, with the dribble penetration for the Hawks was just too easy in a lot of cases, I thought. Yeah, and then and then Trey just broke them in the third quarter. And I and I even tweeted, I was like, okay, the Warriors defense, they're dead. Like they are just <laughs> dead. There's not coming back. And that's mostly about schedule. But also yeah. having to be in that tough schedule spot and deal with Trey is like, it's pretty much a nightmare, you know, yeah. in that situation. Um, but, you know, if we kind of think, you know, through the rest of the season, you know, if they're going to be successful in the play-in, you know, they're going to need, you know, good DeAndre Hunter. They're going to need good Kevin Herter. They're going to, you know, they're going to need, um, you know, their best defensive lineups that they can put together, um, you know, and, and find stretches. And they're not going to have 48 minutes of, you know, platinum level defense. This is not going to happen with this team, you know. Right. But to have, to be able to kind of put your best defensive lineup on the court for, important stretches in the game and and they need that so even though part of me is like i'm kind of ready for the season to be over because it's just been it's it's kind of a grueling uh team to watch up and down you never know i'm still hoping that they kind of find a way to get these secondary guys clicking and playing with some consistency because when they are it's a pretty fun team to watch so we'll see um but you know dre showed some stuff against the warriors that i thought was encouraging and they were running more stuff against the Warriors that I thought makes me a little bit more encouraged that we're going to see more ball movement, better spacing uh, when they're dealing with a switching defense than just pulling the ball out and attacking one-on-one in isolation. I, I hope we continue to see more of that. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a, a big next step, whether it's this season or next. Uh, you know, I, I think there's some context there, like, Maybe this is too big. A, this is too big a bite to bite off for tonight. But like Trey should be an All NBA guard. I think. Oh, I think I mean, he it, definitely it, should it's, be. It's pretty. You know, if you lead the NBA in points and you lead the NBA in assists, which I think he was at some point this weekend, and and you've completely, you know, he's just being guarded differently. Like it's just, it's just a different thing. Like he, he's always gotten defenses to do some unusual things but they're really pushing it to another level this season and you know he's handled it <laughs> he really has like not necessarily in the overall team context but you know if if he's not all the way there he's really close and there aren't many people that get guarded like that and to to be as productive as he has been in those circumstances i just i think he kind of deserves it yeah, and, and you know, the, as I have started to reflect on the season, now that we're you know, kind of towards the end, allowing myself a little bit of that, I'm starting to see this as kind of a transition year for Trey and the Hawks, in that a, a lot more self creation and a lot more of him generating points. You know, through what he can do, he's definitely worked hard to kind of be able to kind of understand what spots he can get to with the ball. You see him kind of around that left elbow area and you know, get that kind of step back and pull back into that area. And again, I, I know people might get sick of hearing me say this, but there's so much Chris Paul stuff in 
that game where he's kind of attacking around the lane, around the elbow areas and kind of getting that step back. Um, and then the way he shot the, the three-point, you know, shot this year with the difficulty this year has just been really impressive. So in my mind, it, he's a no-brainer All-NBA, you know, whether you want to say he's second or third team, that's, you know, just a problem, almost a preference thing and not even worth kind of having an argument about. But I've said, you know, openly on Twitter, like, I think he might not get there. I think that there's maybe some unfortunate, um, unfortunately, a little kind of a stigma from when um, the team wasn't good and he got a whole lot of negative attention when he was in year one or two or what have you. <coughs> I don't think voters are always the most evolved when it comes to kind of watching the whole league and the Hawks have kind of slipped off the radar in some, you know, to a degree with sure. the season that they had, but, and, 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 but I will say this, having kind of watched the way voters operate for whatever number of years, um, if they end up with a 500 record or better, that's going to make his odds higher. Voters tend to really take or deduct some points when a team doesn't get to a 500 record. It, it, it's strange to say like 40 and 42 versus 42 and 40 shouldn't really <laughs> be that big of a deal. But right. if you go back and look at results, it like being a sub 500 team versus a 500 team is, is a pretty big deal. And then even like finishing seven, eight versus nine, 10, it's going to have an impact on that as well. You know, in the East for me, I thought with Harden kind of going into a situation where he was going to own, get more usage and get more pro, you know, consistent profile Philly. I thought he was going to sneak past a few people. I don't know if that's working out the way that I thought it was. Like I, I watched, Phoenix and Philly today and watched James Harden kind of walk up and down the court for almost his entire second half he was on the court so I don't know if Harden is kind of pulling those kind of votes in you know it's been a weird Kyrie season obviously he hasn't probably played even close to enough to kind of get in there so I don't want to go through the whole exercise um they're yeah. there with it we'll uh, and he, of course East West don't really matter but it, but even still I think voters kind of think oh if he's one of the two or three best if he's one of the two best point guards in the East, they're going to tend to kind of, you know, through a mental process, try to kind of get him in there. Um, so, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. And then hopefully there's not too many kind of really weird kind of positional things that kind of create some weird results too. But, you know, I, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it because there's like, when, when I look at a situation, it's like, there's nothing I can do. Uh, I hope for him, he gets it. I think he, because I think he deserves it. Um, I've had a few Hawks fans reach out to me on Twitter and say, Glenn, who should we be tweeting at? I'm like, nobody. <laughs> do not, you know, don't try to kind of do this kind of social media, uh, you know, campaign or something like that. It's just, it's just not really worth it. But yeah, I, I think he gets, I, I think he's deserving. I'm concerned he might end up seventh in voting. All right. Well, uh, I'll have to do this again soon. Enjoy the Pacer game. Enjoy the Thunder game. And, We'll get back on it soon. I hope you feel better soon. Thank you. Got a nice early start tomorrow, uh, which I like to call a Grand Chapel special. Those early starts. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I'll have to try to wrap up being on the West Coast. I'll have to try to wrap up my work day as quickly as I can and, and try not to miss the start there. But yeah, should uh fun week of basketball ahead and all important games. So let's enjoy it. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs>